You're listening to the podcast of Real Life Church. We love, we live, we relate. Spirit-filled and it's in a spirit-led church. And, um, and just very simply, you know, just even those, those words, I think we might need to find better language because you might, you know, you, you can talk about being a born-again Christian and the reality is that every Christian is born again. You, you can't be a, a Christ follower without being born again, you know. And the same is true for the church. The church is not the church unless it's filled with the Spirit. So the reality is when we gather together and we gather in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is present. And, he, and we, are, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The moment you were born again, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You are alive because of Him. You, you see and know and understand. When Jesus was sitting with um, Nicodemus in John chapter 3, He said to Nicodemus, nobody can see the kingdom. You can't see it. You can't get into the kingdom unless you're born again. And so there is this reality of when we are born again, the Spirit dwells in us and we get to see and experience uh, all that God has for us. We begin to walk in the knowledge of that. And so maybe just a couple of things and, and I'll make my point and we'll, we'll sit on that. But what does it mean to be a church that is filled with the Spirit, that makes room for the Holy Spirit, that desires to be led by Him in every aspect of our lives. Well, there's a bunch of theological things that we could speak about. One of them is unity. A church where Jesus is right at the center of everything that we do. He's at the center of our devotion and our, and our, and our pursuit of Him. And the, and the Spirit is present and the Spirit is doing things. What you'll find Him doing is tying our hearts together in love in a passionate pursuit of Jesus and one another, to serve and to care and to take care of. So, so biblically speaking, we can go through a whole lot of things that can determine, well, this is, this is what it means to be a church where the Holy Spirit is present. What is He doing? What is He activating? What is He leading us towards? And I guess in, in many ways, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing with this family of churches, hey? We, we're finding one another by the Spirit, like Ryan likes to teach, the Scriptures. By the Spirit, the Holy Spirit put us together, hey, just like Adam and Eve. Adam just didn't just, you know, pick a bookie out of a catalog. You know, it wasn't how it was working. God put him to sleep. He didn't bring him a magazine. Say, have a, have a choice there, my bookie. No, he put him to sleep, and by the Spirit, God brought him his Eve. And so we, God's tying our hearts together in love, on purpose. So Oaks are having a laugh there. Someone order something over the internet there. What do we, we no. All right, I'll just find out. I just know. I don't know when she's arriving from Russia. Russia <laughs> Russian bride. Help me, boys. We can pray. We can pray for a wife for you. We can do that. <laughs> boys, they're like, we are nuts. <laughs> so there's this tremendous unity. There's this finding one another by the Spirit. And we get to, we get to do that. And when we do find one another, we find a joy that is, that is from outside of this world. And it is magnificent and it's glorious. But, but the thing that I just had a sense to kind of pursue tonight, um, essentially, is that when the Holy Spirit comes to land on us, there is this powerful, unique, and glorious thing that happens in that we get to speak for God. We get to speak for God. So, in the Old Testament, possible, well, well, 
I'm going to say yes because Craig Keener says this. So I'll just go with Craig Keener. For those of you who don't know who Craig Keener is, he's a wonderful theologian. But probably the distinguishing mark of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the work of the, of the, of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was that men spoke on his behalf. And so do so does Siri speak, not, not on God's behalf. Shush, all right. But what would happen was prophetic men and women would have the Holy Spirit rush upon them and they would begin to speak as the oracles of God. They would begin to declare the things of God. Now, when I say they would speak, they would speak and God would act. God would move. It was glorious. You might remember a time, um, there was a man named Elisha. Remember Elisha? And um, there was a man named Naaman. He was the leader of the Syrian army. And he got sick. And they figured out that he had leprosy. Now, in his house was a young slave girl who had come from, from, from Israel. She'd been taken captive, and she now worked in his home. And, uh, and she says to him, hey, listen, um, you're not well, but if you go back to my home country, if you go back to Israel, there's a, there's a man there, and, and he'll pray for you. Because there's a God in Israel, the God of all creation in Israel, and you'll get healed. And so Naaman's like, well, I'll take that shot. <laughs> I've been kissed with death. <laughs> let me, let me take, I'll take whatever I can get. And he goes and he finds Elisha. Now Elisha, and it doesn't you know, honor him in the greatest kind of way, but Elisha comes out and he asks him, tells him, he said, can you pray for me or whatever? And he doesn't even come out. He says, go and dip in the Jordan seven times. There's no prayer. There's no, just come, let's sit, grab, you know, the guy with the guitar, come, let's come, let's worship and let's call on the presence of the Lord. No, he just says, he's probably having lunch. That's probably what the problem was. He's interrupted the man of God. He's like, go dip in the Jordan seven times and, and you'll be healed. And the Bible tells us that Naaman is, in, he's incensed. He is, he is upset about this command. He's like, hmm. Man, of all the rivers, you know, the Jordan's the dirtiest and I gotta go do that. I mean, this man didn't even come out to greet me or what's going on here? And his servant says to him, hey, like, if he'd asked you to do something grand, would you have done it? And he's asked you to do a simple thing, just go dip in the river. I mean, like, just go. So he does. He goes and he dips in the river and what happens? Seven times he dunks himself in the waters and the seventh time when he comes up, he is perfectly healed. Completely healed and absolutely healed. Now, if you recall, in the Old Testament, there was a set of rules. There was, some, there, was, there was a law that determined if you were a Jewish person in covenant with God and you had leprosy and you were healed of leprosy, you could go to the priest and you'd perform this whole ritual and all these kinds of things to declare that you were clean. Now, in all of Israel, until the time that Jesus came, there was not one Jewish person, not one person in covenant with God that ever got leprosy and was ever healed. But this man, and outside of the covenant of God, he gets healed. And he gets healed because a man of God who speaks on behalf of God, who has the Spirit of God upon his life, this calling, says to him, go and do this. And he gets healed. You might recall uh, Samuel. Samuel was this great man of God. A glorious man of God. He led the, is, is the Israeli nation. He led the, he, the Hebrew people. And, and he was famous because he was a man, the Bible says, whose none of his words fell to the ground. God let none of his words fall to the ground. And he anointed both Saul 
and David. So he was a powerful man of God, heard God clearly. When he met Saul, um, when, he, when he first met Saul, he, Saul is a young man and he's, or a younger man and he's looking for his dad's donkeys because they're lost. And he runs into Samuel. And Samuel obviously has been hanging out with God and God's like, this is the man that I'm an anoint to be king. And he says to him, they have, he says, stay, have, they have a meal and all that kind of thing. And then he says to him, now go back. He says, and when you go back, you're going to go this way. And, and while you're going, there's going to be some, some musicians, some minstrels, they're going to come down off a mountain. And he says, and the spirit of God is going to be upon them. And then you're going to prophesy. And what happens? That's exactly what happens. He speaks. He's uncovered him with God, anointed with the Holy Spirit in power, and what he declares takes place. Now, just a little subtext. He's not, he's speaking on behalf of God. He's not speaking his own thing. He's not doing his own thing. He's speaking on behalf of God. Now, if you know the story um, of Samuel and how he came to be this prophet, this this, uh, this priest, this mighty man of God. His mom was a, na- a lady named Hannah, and she was barren. She couldn't have children. Today I was actually just listening to the story in the car when we were dri- driving, and Kareen was sleeping, so she remembered this. And, uh, <laughs> but I was driving, listening to the story, and, um, and I just began to weep. I was in the car, I was like, I was kind of trying to look out the window so if my wife woke up, she wouldn't see me crying because she'd probably think, what is going on here? Like, I go to sleep and you start crying. I'm like, I miss you. You're ignoring me. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> it's a long drive, yeah. But, but Hannah is despised, not by her husband. Her husband loves her. In fact, when he sees that she, she's mourning because she doesn't have any children because she's barren, she can't have children, he says these words to you. He says, he says don't, I, don't I love you like 10 sons? So this man, I can't remember his name, but he had two wives. But it seems like he loved Hannah the most. And yet she wasn't content with that love. Hey, she, she, had, to, she had to birth something. She, was, she wanted a son. There was this, this passion, this compassion, this love in her that couldn't be fulfilled by anybody else. But she was scorned by the other wife. She was dishonored. And she eventually, she comes up to the temple one year at Shalom, like they did every year, to come and offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And she goes into the temple, to the tent, and she's laying before the Lord, and she is weeping. She is weeping before the Father. And she's, she's crying out to God. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you, you know, you cried so much, nothing's coming out. You're like, you're heaving. And she was just mumbling and moaning and crying out to God. And Eli, who is the high priest, sees her. And his first thought is that this is some drunken woman in the temple. And he, and he castigates her. Gives her a hard time. <laughs> and he's like, hey, woman, you know, what are you doing? If you're going to come here, don't, don't come here drunk. And she says to him, no, my Lord, I'm not yet drunk. And she explains her situation to him. And he feels obviously remorse. And he says to her, well, listen, go your way. This time next year, you'll have a child. No prayer, no, no worship team. Just he speaks a word. Remember who he is. He's the high priest. God has ordained a covenant with this man and the spirit of God is upon his life. And he decrees something. He speaks something. She goes away and what does she do? She has a child. 
And she is so excited. She says, Lord, I'm dedicating this boy to you. Now, I don't know how that would work if you, you know. Okay. <laughs> Just two years later, she dropped him off at the temple. She's like, there we go. You stay here. I'm dedicating you to the Lord. He's like, you left me, mother. Like, <laughs> he obviously had probably spent lots of shekels on counseling, trauma counseling when he was in his late teens. Eh? But anyway, but just this radical moment, this man of God in covenant with God, the Spirit of God on his life speaks on behalf of the Lord, speaks a word and something radical shifts, a miracle shifts. This woman is barren. She cannot have children. Naaman, Kissed with death, he's going to die. Leprosy takes no prisoners, kills everyone. Speaks a word. Doesn't even pray in the name of Jesus. Doesn't even petition heaven. Just go and dip in the Jordan. Radical, radical, radical stuff. The Old Testament is filled with incidents like that. And then comes Jesus. Now, the thing with Jesus, and let's backtrack a little bit. When the Old Testament ends, it ends with the last Italian prophet, Malachi. <laughs> Malachi. Any Italians in the house? <laughs> All right. And theologians tell us there's some 400 to 420 years that lapse from when Malachi prophesied to when Jesus came. Now, what happened was heaven went silent. There was nobody in all of Israel that spoke on behalf of God. There was nobody that was living in covenant with God where his spirit was upon them, where they were able to speak. God's spirit had been withheld in that regard. But there was a man named Isaiah, hey, who prayed. And he prayed that prayer. He prayed, Lord, won't you, old King James, rent the heavens, rent them, tear them apart and pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Pour out your spirit, Lord. That was what Isaiah was crying for. Pour out your spirit, God. He knew, he knew, he knew. Isaiah has, I think Isaiah as a, as a prophetic book has more references to the Holy Spirit than any other book. Pour out, tear open the heavens, God. Whatever's hindering your spirit from dwelling with us, just remove it and pour out your spirit. And Jesus is born, hey. And Jesus, as he grows and he gets ready, God gets him ready to be in ministry and he's about to go into ministry and what happens? He meets his cousin, John the Baptist at the Jordan and he's walking down into the, on the banks of the Jordan. He's going down into the waters and John looks up and he goes, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hey, something, you know, something's good when it starts like that, hey. It's like, that's your entry line there. It's like Jesus coming down. Woo, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No small things being done here. And he comes down into those waters. And the Bible says he's baptized by John the Baptist. And when he comes out of the waters, those words are spoken by the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit falls on Jesus, lights on Jesus like a dove. What does God do that day? He rips open the heavens. He answers Isaiah's prayer. He tears open the heavens and he pours out his spirit. And his spirit falls upon Jesus, lives within Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the prophetic spirit of God is present again on man. And you know the story. Jesus begins to do some remarkable things. He speaks with such power and authority. People are amazed. Sick people come to him. Oh, please, Jesus, would you do that? No problem. Go your way. You're healed. Yeah. You just imagine. Would you please pray for me? Go your way. 
you're healed. Go your way, you're healed. Really? Is that how it works? Because Jesus, in covenant with the Father, filled with the Holy Spirit, releases a word, and what happens? They're healed. They're clean. They're raised from the dead. Life comes just by a word. Just by a word. Now, if you remember that I'm out of time. <laughs> if you remember Genesis, Genesis chapter one, the Bible says that the earth was void, empty. One of those words for what empty means without the ability to reproduce. It's barren. It's a wasteland. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of the deep. And what happened? God speaks. God releases a word. And what happens? Holy Spirit begins to move. And He begins to create. And He begins to establish. And He begins to do all the things that God has spoken. It's powerful. It's just so beautiful. See, there's a, there's a covenant thing that God's doing. There's something glorious that's happening. God lends His Word and the Spirit moves and things begin to happen. God lends His Word, the Spirit moves and things begin to happen. And that begins to manifest again in the life of Jesus. Hey? And we see Jesus do all these things and then that glorious thing happens. Jesus is crucified. He's crucified, buried, and then he's raised from the dead. And then he meets with his disciples. Many people saw him, over 500 people. And he says to his disciples, you stay here, stay in Jerusalem until I go. He says, I'm gonna, there's the promise of the Father that's coming. Go nowhere until you receive the promise of the Father. And Jesus ascends to the Father, and 10 days later, they're waiting. And what does he do? He sends his Spirit. Now, Craig Keener says that when the church received the Spirit, they received a prophetic the prophetic spirit of God. They received the anointing of God. What happened again? What was happening in the Old Testament, what happened in Christ now began to happen in a glorious way with the church. That the spirit of God came upon man and what happens? As Christians, just like the prophets of old, just like Jesus began to speak on whose behalf? The Father. Remember that moment? We, we hear it so many times when Philip says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long? And you haven't got this, you haven't seen this. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen the Father. He says, this is what happens. This is what the Father does. He puts His Spirit on something, on somebody, and begins to move. And His Spirit comes upon His disciples. And what do they begin to do? With words, they begin to set captives free. They begin to do the things that God's calling. They begin to preach the gospel and people hear and are saved and they're, they're baptized and they're healed, they're delivered. All kinds of glorious things happen. And this is what Craig Keener says is the most glorious thing that takes place is that God puts his spirit on the church. And what happens? We begin to speak for him. We begin to speak for him. Speak a word. And he says, go. Go and set the captives free. And I want to say to you, family, what it means to be, in some ways, to be a church led by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit is that we come to the place that realize that we have been given permission, filled with the Spirit, to speak on His behalf. So what does that exactly mean? Well, I'm going to take you in the Scriptures. We'll maybe just turn there to the last Scripture. Genesis 20, 17. So, the word heal in the Hebrew is the word rapha. Jehovah Rapha, hey, the Lord God who heals. So we're busy teaching at the moment at our little Bible school. We're teaching on healing. We're doing um, four weeks of healing, and then I'm going to preach for, I think, nine weeks on healing. We'll see how that goes. So I'm busy researching and going through, through, through some things. And the other morning, I wake up, and I feel like the Lord said to me, Wes, go and, go and look at the first place where the word heal 
is used in the Bible. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go do that. So I'm, I look it up and I, f- I find one place, it's actually not the first place and it points me to this. <laughs> so let me read it to you. In Genesis 20 and verse 17. Let's put my glasses on quickly. And I'll make a point and we'll be done. And Ryan can come and answer some questions. <laughs> so oh, let, me, let me just build a story for you quickly. Abraham meets in a man named Embemelech. And Embemelech is a king. And he sees Sarah. And he has eyes for Sarah. And Abraham says to Sarah, hey, just tell this oak that you and me, we're brother and sister. <laughs> okay? And that whole story goes on. You probably recall that. Anyway, God visits him in a dream and says, listen, indeed, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken for she is a man's wife. And he's like, whoa, what's going on here? Anyway, so he gives Sarah back to Abraham. Says, hey, why did you lie to me? Why did you tell me this when this is your, your woman's, this lady's your wife, God was gonna kill me, all those kinds of things. But at the end of this portion of scripture, the end of this chapter, Abraham does something for Abimelech. Verse 17, it says, so Abraham prayed to God and God healed and Bemelik, his wife and his female servants, and then they bore children. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Bemelik because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. The first time that the word heal, Rafa, is used in the Bible, it is used in connection with a man who is in covenant with God, who has been told. I've called you, I'm going to bless you, and I want to bless the nations of the world through you. All the families of all the nations will be blessed through you. I'm in covenant with you, Abraham. My spirit is with you, Abraham. And then what does Abraham do? He prays and God heals. This is a, this is a glorious story. This is amazing. I'm like, Lord, this is the first time. This is a man who's not living under the law. He's not living under a covenant of law. He's living under a covenant of grace. God's called him out of his father's country. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a good fella. He was a, an idol worshiper. And God chose him for no good reason other than God's good at choosing whoever he wants to choose. John 15, hey, I didn't choose, you didn't choose me. I chose you. God calls Abraham, makes a covenant with Abraham. and says, Abraham, you know what I'm going to do through you? I am going to bless the nations. I'm going to bless the nations. And then the Lord comes and all these things happen. And Jesus comes and he establishes the church. And let me tell you something. When he puts his spirit on us, we receive what? The promise of the Father. And the promise according to Galatians is that we would receive what? The blessing of Abraham. The Holy Spirit. We receive the blessing of Abraham, which is the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we are covenant people who are to speak for God. We are to go and set the captives free. We are to be like Abraham. It is an amazing thing to me that the first account of healing is a covenant partner of God laying his hands on a sick person and they get healed. Well, not sick, barren, same thing, similar. They need help. <laughs> There's some serious help. You see, this is the reality, friend. This is what it means to be a spirit-led, spirit-filled church. 
is that we go on His behalf, in His name, to speak on His behalf and to bless the nations. To bless the nations. We have received the blessing of Abraham. We are in covenant with God. Just like Abraham, we didn't choose God, He chose us. Just like Abraham, God promised to bless Abraham, to to do good to him, to be a shield to him. God has spoken beautiful promises over your life. You didn't ask for them. Some of them you're yet to discover. But they're still true and they've still been spoken over your life. And God is calling you and I. That's why when he commissioned the church, when he commissioned his disciples, he said, go into all the nations. Why? Because God had it in his heart from the beginning to bless all peoples through his covenant people. He said, go into all the nations of the earth and do what? Baptize them. Well, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said to his disciples, go and teach them to observe all the things that I've commanded you to do. In Matthew 10, what did Jesus teach his disciples to do? Go lay your hands on the sick, cast out demons, raise them from the dead, preach the gospel. Family, I want to tell you, more than anything else, I've come to see, more than anything else, what it means to be a spirit-led, spirit-filled people is that we understand our covenant with God, that His Spirit is on us so that we might speak on His behalf to go into the nations to be a blessing. To be a blessing. To be a blessing. You know, just like that night, and I know just, and again, use this, and, but um, there's something that happens when those that refuse to believe in God encounter His power and His glory. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4, Paul says, when I preach, I don't come and preach with persuasive words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. And then he says, why? He says, so that people's faith might be not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. But in the power of God. Let me end with this. Naaman, let's go back to the story of Naaman. Naaman is an Assyrian. He serves a God called Dagon, I think if I remember correctly. He, He is the two RC to the king of Assyria. He has this encounter. He goes, he does this ridiculous, ridiculous thing, at least in his eyes, to go dip in the Jordan. He dips in the Jordan. He comes out, he's healed. He's like, He's like, this is it. He goes back to Elisha. He's like, Elisha, listen, dude, this worked. I've got two donkeys full of nice things here. Please take them. Elisha says, no, no, no. Today's not the day to receive an offering. I don't want anything from you. And so he's like, okay, that's cool. He goes, all right, could you do me a favor? This is paraphrased, by the way. Please go read the Bible. This is my paraphrased version. Okay, because you're going to go home and read the story. It's like, he said none of those things, all right? It's paraphrased. The Wesley Pulvinus version. All right. So Naaman says to Elisha, he says, Elisha, can I have two donkey loads of dirt? What? Two donkey loads of dirt? That's big dirt. It's a lot of dirt. It's a a lot of dirt. Why? Well, in the ancient Near East at that time, all the kingdoms, all the nations around them, they believed in a local deity. They believed that the God that they served, God of Canaan, God of Dagon, whatever, they were a local God that was in charge of that land mass, that area. And so the God dwelled in the soil. And he was like, you know what happened to me in that Jordan? I came up out of the water. I think your God's the God of all the gods. I think your God's the God of all creation. And I, you know what I think I should do? I, should, I think I should take, take some of this dirt back with me because God's in the dirt. I'm going to go build an altar from this dirt. And that's what they would do. They would build an altar and that's where they would pray. He encountered not the wisdom of men, 
Not the eloquence of a prophet of God, but just the command to go. And when he went, he was healed. He believed different. He believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How do you know that that's true, Wes? Because he was leaving and he stopped and he said, whoa, 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 hang on. Elisha, could you do me one more favor? It's like, what's that? He's like, I got a little problem. When I go back, back to Syria, the king, I help the king out. I'm like his guy. And, um, and he, he goes into the temple, so I'll go with him. And when we go into the temple, he bows. And because he's old and I've got to help him out, I end up bowing. He says, but, but can you ask God to forgive me? I want to be at peace with God. Why? Because he had chosen in his heart that day he encountered the power of God through a man who was in covenant with God who just spoke a word. And he said, you know what? I'm gonna, I need the dirt so I can worship your God. And I need, you, I need your God to know that when I bow down, I'm not bowing down. I have to do it. But actually, I'm bowing down to him. Family, you know what it means to bless the nations of the earth? is to bring them to a place where they have no other decision to make. They've got no other way to go but to say yes to King Jesus. Because he is that glorious and that wonderful and that magnificent. And that's why he's put his spirit on you. Because he's, he's saying, go as my covenant people. Go and do it. You and I need to, we need to start believing God for some words. We need to trust God for some words for people. This time next year, you will have a child. Go. No, 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 no. Axel, dodging that one. It's like, like a matrix thing there. Like just, no. And, and if we truly are, and this is the last come, come up, Ryan, I think there's one, there's one question. We're not going to do it. We're going to change something. If we truly are spirit-led people, we will be led into the world. We'll be led to the broken. We'll be led to the hurting. We'll be led to the suffering. Not so God can pat them on the back and say, oh, I'm so sorry, man. It's so tough. The Lord loves you. No. Pick up your mat. Get up. We, you know, Toti there? Go dip in the, dip in the sea. You're going to come out. You're not going to have E. coli. You're going to have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> hey. Hey. You're sick. Be healed in the name of Jesus. You know, we say these things sometimes and we think, oh, it's a little far-fetched. I'm no, this is the book of Acts. It's the book of Acts. And all good theologians come to you. Because I'll just carry on. I just stuff, stuff keeps coming to my mind. Come here. Yeah. All good theologians tell us that the book of Acts doesn't have a conclusion. Yeah. It doesn't end. There's no proper salutation. There's no like goodbye, thank you. And the reason is because is the book of Acts hasn't ended. It hasn't ended. We're not cessationists. We don't believe it all ended with the apostles. No. We believe God's spirit is still on his church. Amen. And we believe that his, God's spirit is still leading his church. And we believe that we are anointed with his prophetic spirit to declare his word. So that the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame walk and those that are far from God come near. And those that were barren bear children. That God breaks in in glory and power so that they do not believe in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. And you are God's covenant people.
called to bless the nations. Thank you for listening. 